0: You're listening to the Music Marketing Manifesto Podcast, where you'll learn how you can use direct-to-fan marketing strategies to grow your fan base and generate income from your music with no record label, radio, airplay, touring, or press. And I'm your host, John O'Jaka. All right, John Ojaka here, and thanks for tuning in to episode number 36 of the Music Marketing Manifesto podcast. Now, today we've got a very special guest uh, for you guys. Her name is Karen Rackman, and without uh, overhyping this thing, she is one of the most influential music supervisors of all time. Uh, she is a, a personal friend. She was part of my story as a musician, uh, helped me uh, significantly in the early days of my career, um, and I I've asked her to come on and really just help answer the big question that most musicians are asking, which is how do I get my music on television and film? There's really, I, I, I think, few people out there, if anyone, uh, who could better tackle this question than Karen Rackman. Uh, I've got to pull them up. Her, her credits, by the way, are insane. I can't possibly read them all because there's so many of them, uh, but she has uh, done soundtracks such as uh, Boogie Nights, uh, Reality Bites, Clueless, Romeo and Juliet, um, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, basketball diaries moulin rouge and the list goes on and on and on uh i read on wikipedia that her uh the albums that she's responsible for so the the albums that she was the music supervisor uh on uh have sold over 75 million copies so you really uh i don't know yeah there as i say there are a few people as qualified to tackle th- that big question as as she and more importantly what's so impressive about Karen and her work is the kind of work that she's done. They're not just popular movies, but along the way there's been some really groundbreaking stuff. Um, I know for me, and and we'll talk about it in the interview, but Judgment Night uh, was this, to me, a pivotal album where she combined rock and uh, uh, hip hop together in in some amazing ways. Uh, Obviously Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs were incredible. Credible soundtracks uh, that just about redefine soundtracks uh, things like you know Moulin Rouge and again the list goes on They're all they're They're it's groundbreaking very impressive stuff Um and as you hear a little bit about in the interview, she uh, m- helped me out a lot as well. So it was a pleasure to have her on. Uh, she's been living, well, splitting her time between Los Angeles and New Zealand, um, as, as I've been doing for the last number of years. So uh, it was it, we reconnected uh, down here in New Zealand and uh, asked her to be on the podcast. And she she was willing to come on and share some insight with you guys. So that's what we're going to do. The first half of the interview is a bit of her story, kind of talking about what a music supervisor does and how her career got started. Uh, and then in the second half of the interview, we'll, we'll tackle that question and she'll talk about or she'll share her advice for musicians who are trying to get their music placed in television and film. Um, so before we uh, before we do that, before we get the, to the interview, just a, a little bit of housekeeping, uh, just a few quick words. Just wanted to um, let people know about a few new things around the whole music marketing manifesto world. So something that uh, I've been doing for years, really, for about a decade uh, is offering private consulting. Uh, It's never been something that I've posted a link to or anything like that, never had a sales page up or anything like that. It was just something when people emailed me and they said, hey, you know, can I hire you to look at my campaigns to chat? Uh, About my campaigns um, and just get some one-on-one guidance. Can we do that? And I've always offered that service But it was always only available uh, in in that kind of capacity, but it's been coming up a lot lately There have been a lot of one-on-one session requests coming in so a little while ago I posted something a work with John link basically on the site on music marketing manifesto.com And uh, it just kind of sat there buried in a drop-down window. And so I wanted to just take a quick moment and let people know that that was now available. So if you're a musician who needs some one-on-one guidance with your marketing, uh, especially if you're someone who's gone through Music Marketing Manifesto 4.0, Music Ads Workshop, uh, or the Insider Circle, and you're familiar with the strategies that I teach, the specific direct to fan marketing strategies that I teach, or maybe you've been listening to this podcast, you like what you hear, but you're not interested in doing all of the marketing yourself i just wanted everyone to be aware that uh, help is available if you need it and and during these sessions my time is yours we can do anything that you want Uh, quite often uh, in these sessions they are strategy sessions we'll go over your campaigns your goals uh, your previous results we'll take a look at uh, your marketing that you've done in the past and i'll uh, look for problems potential problems in that marketing and lay out a path for you going forward Uh, but we can also pop the hood on your website or your ads manager and actually make changes together. I can go in and set up an ad campaign for you um, or do anything that you need during one of these sessions. So um, everything starts with an hour long session. If you need more time, uh, you can get in touch and we can talk about uh, what it might take to solve your problems. Uh, but we we can do anything that you need anything at all and if you're interested in this you just head on over to musicmarketingmanifesto.com you'll find it uh, you'll find the work with john link under products and services or just head directly over to musicmarketingmanifesto.com forward slash work hyphen with hyphen john All right. So, uh, with that out of the way, we're going to take a brief break, a quick little musical interlude, uh, and then we're going to come back and we're going to be talking with Karen Rackman, once again, one of the most uh, influential music supervisors of all time. All right. Back in a sec. You're listening to the Music Marketing Manifesto Podcast. And on the line with me is Karen Rackman. Karen, thanks for being here today. How are you?
1: Hi, thank you. Nice to be here, John.
0: Yeah, well, it is a pleasure to chat with you in this in this format. As I've as I've said uh you know, prior to our interview and the setup for this this interview, uh, we've known each other a long time, and yet it was funny in prep for this, I, I did a quick Uh, read of your Wikipedia page. And there was so much I learned because I actually only know you as, you know, as you from, from face to face conversations and getting to know you as a person, but you've, you've got an interesting story. Um, uh, We're talking obviously to independent musicians who want to succeed as musicians would love to get their music licensed. And you certainly know a heck of a lot about that. But first, let's just kind of give folks a little bit of your your backstory um i I mean let's start at the beginning how'd you how'd you fall in love with music and what led you to this career as a music supervisor
1: um i think i fell in love with music young like most kids but my father was in the business and my father you know was a rock and roller pot smoking dude and so (laughs) I, i uh He'd ignore me, he was a bachelor. He'd ignore me as a child. And (laughs) I used to, but that's okay because he would get all the 45s in the mail, you know? And my brother and I could play all the 45s and he had an insane record collection. And I would literally just sit there with all the records put the needle on learn every word of there's certain records i still know every word of you know sure Of a song and 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 i think that's how i i really became passionate about where music sort of saved me right right back then probably when i was seven years old
0: right and did you did you ever make music or were you ever or are you a musician
1: i i i I was in a band yeah and um i still have some of the recordings now we suck
2: <laughs> but we
1: did we, you know growing up in LA we did open up for red hot chili peppers oh, wow. um, but I think it actually it was very funny um, they were very nice but it was at some, nobody knew who they were I mean this is LA back in the day right. you know, I was like 18 and uh, it was um, you know I, I think you know I couldn't sing to save my life
0: so you were the singer
1: yeah yeah because nice. I like Dress nice and do my hair. Yeah.
0: way you know, so very cool. What but, was the band called?
1: The cocktails.
0: The cocktails. Nice. Am I if I Google this? Am I going to find some amazing photographs? No, nope. <laughs> no,
1: nope, nope. never a photograph.
0: Right, right, awesome. I found
1: like honestly the tapes I found are like cassette tapes. I have them somewhere here, you know.
0: That's amazing. And I,
1: it, it was really funny because I found them after years and years and years and years. I was like. 18 years old or something and I was like I couldn't wait because I thought these songs were so great and I listened to them and I was like wow we really sucked right. like I was surprised because I kind of thought we were good
0: <laughs> right it's amazing and you mentioned you know liking to dress up in the new wave thing and all that um I didn't know that you had uh, you nearly had a life in cosmetology <laughs> according to your uh, your Wikipedia no, I form. actually
1: did yeah. I did I was a better cosmetologist hairdresser and I still use those skills than I did as a um, singer. That but, is so um,
0: wild to me. I so don't see you. are like this rock, you're this rock and roll star. You know, you're this music industry rock star uh, in my mind. So the idea of that there's this other universe out there where Karen Rackman led a life of co- uh, as a cosmetologist blows blows my mind a little bit. That's, that's great. Um, so how did you make this transition from... Well, I guess you said you started earlier, and according to some of the the timeline that I read, it sounded like you were already into the music supervising thing around that same time you mentioned you were in a band. So, you know, how did you go that route? No, no, no. I didn't. No, I didn't.
1: Because I guess I was in a band when I was like 17. Uh And then I moved to New York. I was probably in cosmetology school when I was in the band. And then I moved to New York cause I was getting a gig doing wig design on a Broadway play that didn't happen. Right. And I got a job at a clothing store. It was this really hip happening clothing store by the people who'd be camp Beverly Hills. They did mm-hmm. this, um, called American high on Madison Avenue and mm-hmm. there was one in Soho and I worked there and I was like, you know, um, I, I got to, I worked the counter cause then I could control the music and, um and and th- my friend from Los Angeles sent in a friend of mine a friend of hers who was the head of music for Canon films to come to the store and meet me mm-hmm. and i was like oh my god your job is amazing i would do anything to work for you i can give you a 30% discount cuz i had a discount. <laughs> right She took my 30% discount, and then she said, I'm hiring an assistant, and I went back to Los Angeles after living in New York for a while, and so I started out as an assistant uh, in the head of music department at Canon Films, which was this schlocky film company, but we were doing 16 films at a time. The first film I remember working on was uh, called Rappin', and it was the third in the break-in the series, you know, there was break in, and then there was yeah, break yeah. to electric blue, sure. and then to jump the shark, they did Rapid. And uh-huh. so I didn't, I didn't music supervise it, but I, I, worked on that, and I learned everything. And then I worked on Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, and a movie called Full for Love with up to Really varying different movies, some really schlocky stuff, right. and some right. interesting stuff. But I really learned a lot about um, how to, you know, the, the the business of putting music to film,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: and and, and then I, um, ended up, um, the, after three years at Cannon Films, did a little stint at Island Music, pushing songs, you know, selling, sure. representing the catalog. And then I moved to New Zealand and then I, um, and then, and I thought, oh, cause I, I had a relationship in New Zealand since I was young. Yeah. I, I didn't know that thought, till oh, the I'm, other day
0: or till I, reading your Wikipedia yeah, page. Yeah.
1: So I, I came back to New Zealand and I was like, oh, yeah, I just really want to make it here. And of course, I was like, I'm going to be a music supervisor. And everybody's like, cool, what's that? <laughs> so sure. We don't have anything here. And but I, I you know, so I, I went back <laughs> um, home and then I became a musicist. You know, I start I worked for Herbie Hancock and Sakamoto for a while. And then I um, just started you know, music clearing, music mm-hmm. coordinating. Got in with some good people and then, you know, started getting music supervision gigs little by little and then met Quentin Tarantino and that's like sort of changed everything for me.
0: Well, for anyone who's maybe, I, I'm sure I will have made a lot out of that in the intro, which I haven't recorded yet, but um, but just for everyone who's maybe not familiar with that that part of your story, um, talk about that. So you met Quentin, Quentin Tarantino, was that your first actual music supervisor title or had you had no, had that title before no, that? I,
1: I didn't, it's very interesting because I thought, well, what, well, you know, I thought a lot about soundtracks, you know, and just why I liked them. Why Paris, Texas, just the score meant so much to me. Why certain movies, why I cared so much. I don't know. You know, I just felt a little different than most people did. I Mm -hmm. cared a little bit too much about the movie. Now I think people, a lot of people do, Sure. but back then it was a unique position to be in. And, um, so after I worked at Canon, I coordinated like, and so I cleared all the rights for movies like the commitments.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I didn't, wasn't the music supervisor, but I cleared all the rights to the songs. And, um, and then I started doing some other movies. I can't even remember the name too, but I, I, one popped up where right. my name was on it. <laughs> but then I, um, I, and then I, I music supervised a movie called shout uh-huh. with John Travolta and Heather Graham. That was just, not very good right and i music supervised texasville which was the sequel to the last picture show which is very interesting to me because the last picture show was one of those movies where i thought about the soundtrack a lot like it was a that was done in the 70s but it took place in the 50s and it was jeff bridges and sybil shepherd and cloris leachman and great movie larry McMurtry novel and it was just a great that's him. Right? It was just a great movie. And then they did a sequel and then I met Peter Bogdanovich. So that was one of my first movies. Mm-hmm. And then I, oh, but my very first movies actually that I music supervised were called Cool Blue and it starred um, Hank Azaria and Woody Harrelson. Mm-hmm. And then, and I did one called Warm Summer Rain. And I don't remember who it started, but I, they gave me like $5,000 to do all the music on both the episodes. And I was just finished working for Herbie and he let like these new composers and I use his studio to record the score. He was amazing, man. So, um, so I, I had a couple films under my belt by right. the time I met Quentin Tarantino, you know, what I was, I, I, I knew what I was doing enough to get him what he wanted. Right.
0: And as you're alluding to, that was a pretty pivotal um, time or experience working with Quentin on Reservoir Dogs, you want to tell us kind of what happened and how that kick started the, the,
1: yeah, the next yeah. chapter so, of your career? So my friend um, Stacy Cher, who was good friends with Quentin, and she's the was the really responsible for my career, a big producer, she said to me, oh, you got to help my friend Quentin. He's going to be big. She told me. Mm. And uh, she said, can you um, he really wants stuck in the middle with you. Can you help him get stuck in the middle with you? He's told he can't have it. So I went and met with Quentin and he was told that he could only have sound-alikes. And could you imagine what Reservoir Dogs would right. have been like with 70 sound-alikes? Right. So, and he said, and I'll pay for stuck in the middle with you, just please. And so I went and I got him a song. I got on the phone with Jerry Egan and Joe Rafferty and I was able to get that song. And then Quentin said, what can I do for you? And I said, you can hire me. And <laughs> right. he said, So, um, and that's when I, that was a good start for me. Um, and,
0: um, what year was that when that came out? Oh, approximately. I'm just trying to think when I, I, it it was
1: 92. Gotcha.
0: It was, it was judgment night that first caught my, well, I didn't know you. I didn't even think about music supervisors at the time, you know, I was 18 and I just, I thought about the music. I didn't think about what went into it, but I remember that album as being when I went over your resume many years ago as one that really jumped out at me because I thought that was such a groundbreaking album for anyone not familiar with it. It was this combination of, of hip hop and, and rock bands in a way that I don't know, had anyone ever done that?
1: No, and it's very interesting, I'll tell you. Because, but before I did Judgment Night, I did Doctor Giggles. How come you are not talking about that? <laughs> and I did people, but I think before I did Judgment Night, I might have done Reality Bites, and mm. Reality Bites was a pretty groundbreaking soundtrack, sure, as well. So, but um, you know, when I did um, when I did um, Judgment Night. It, my ex-husband was the producer of that movie, and he said, I need a soundtrack, and I said, okay, here's an idea. And I was talking to this guy, Happy Walters, who really wanted to do this concept. So in all fairness, even though I'm still kind of mad at Happy Walters, it was pretty much a concept that he came up with, you know, or we came up with together. I can't even remember. I'm think, I'm giving him the credit now, but I'm sort of feeling like, well, maybe I had something to do with it. But he, the reason I was talking to him is Everlast Mm -hmm. who's from house of pain was his artist. He managed him and he was acting in the movie. So I think I was talking to Everlast about doing a song. Right. And then, and then happy goes, why don't I happy? Had the soundtrack. uh, I had a record label and he's like, why don't we, you know, and always like the thing back in the day that you wanted to get was a soundtrack album deal. So it was like, great. I have one off the bat. So I delivered. And by the way, you make a lot more money if you have a soundtrack album deal. Mm -hmm. Um, as a music supervisor so and especially back then so that was how um that came about now i i did get to put some of the bands together him and amanda Shear really put a lot of the bands together gotcha. and most of them perhaps and um it was a great concept yeah. and i don't think in that respect it had been done before nobody remembers that movie everybody remembers that yeah
0: yeah for sure absolutely it's it's uh it's a favorite, and there's some great, great tracks on that. So I'm watching the clock like, um, like a hawk, because there's so much I want to ask you, and I don't want to be, I, I don't want to get carried away and, and um, spend all our time talking about your past. But I do kind of want to quickly summarize the rest of it because you, you went on to really be, I, I, I don't know, perhaps one of the most, if not the most influential music supervisor out there. At least just from my perspective. I don't know what the stats say on these yeah, things, well but.
1: That's because I used one of your songs.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the one. It was the mystery Men soundtrack that did it all. Um but but you did Pulp Fiction after that. You do, you know, walk us through the, the career arc.
1: Okay. I did after um um I did Reality Bites. I did Get Shorty, which is a great and appreciated soundtrack. Right. I did Clueless, I did Grace of My Heart, which is a great soundtrack, I did um um, Romeo and Juliet. I, so I got high. I did all these soundtracks. I got hired at Capitol Records when I was doing Clueless, and they made me the vice president of soundtracks at ANR. So then I could start picking up records. So I, I was more like an executive soundtrack producer as opposed to a music supervisor. And I did Good Burger, which my kids still thank me for, and <laughs> Romeo and Juliet while at Capitol. And then I went to Interscope Records because Warren Beatty wanted me to work on Bulworth. So I did Bulworth. And I did Moulin Rouge and I did Office Space and um, Rugrats and a couple of other things. And then after I left Interscope, I did like um, a great soundtrack that a lot of people haven't heard of called Laurel Canyon and SpongeBob SquarePants and Barnyard and the Barnyard TV show and the game. And I did... um, what else did I do? Um more canon. I did I did I can't remember a lot of stuff.
2: Time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I took, I've done a lot of movies and 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 um you know then I went on to produce a movie, to executive produce a movie and produce a movie and now I'm um you know still doing it, yeah. I guess. Living living in so, New Zealand. Uh, yeah, living in New Zealand and doing um consulting and coordination and clearances and supervision, whatever. Just a little bit of a slower pace. But, right. you know, things are picking up, which I like. Yeah. And um, I look forward to keeping more busy.
0: Awesome. Well, why don't you kind of explain to us what a music supervisor does? I mean, we kind of understand that a music supervisor puts together these these soundtracks. But um, why is it important that you get brought onto a project? What is your actual job? Like, what, what's the day-to-day of that, of that job?
1: If you think about what a producer does for a movie, you would think that a music supervisor or an executive soundtrack producer oversees everything that has to do with music on a film. But sometimes it's different, you know, and you'll be brought on at different times. Sometimes you'll be brought in before they shoot, especially in animation, because if there's singing or anything, right. you have to add to it. So sometimes you're brought on really early and, um, you know, you have to have songs written for the film. Sometimes it's straight-up licenses. Sometimes when you're with, like, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, I did Boogie Nights as well. Sometimes when you're with Quentin Tarantino, Paul Thomas Anderson, they know what they want, pretty much. You're lucky if you can suggest one or two songs, you know, but they, they know what they want. So your job is to get them their vision. So you're overseeing the budget. You're making the record deal. You're making sure that they have...
0: Exactly what they want. Right, right, and making um, all those phone calls to d- get all the permission, signing all those contracts, all that, all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and why do you think you you stand out so much in this field? Like uh, the the virtually everything you've worked on has been so exciting and and again groundbreaking. Um, uh, what what is different about your approach compared to so many others out there? What you make you've made this job, know. you know, pretty. I don't know you again, you claim the space uh, or this uh, you never <laughs> you never put it upon yourself. But many referred to you as, you know, again, the, this sort of rock star within the industry. And I don't know many other music supervisors who really stand out and have the reputation that you do.
1: Well, that's nice. There are a lot of them, but I'm glad you
0: don't <laughs> Well, yeah, not, not, not from my perspective, but yeah. no. That's
1: very nice. And I'm lucky. That's it. Like, sure. you know what? I got lucky. And, you, you know, I guess, and it just goes to show you, like, you know, um, really is, is that uh, there was a lot of films I didn't get, you know? And, and I think when you're young, man, it's hard. And still to this day, you know, it's hard to remind yourself to just keep going, keep going, keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Whatever it is that you're doing, you've got, you, you, you have no idea. Right. You know, I could think about it. It's interesting because as I'm saying that, I'm thinking about certain musicians that I've heard mm-hmm. throughout my career. And I've thought like they should just give up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right, and, right. And, and yet, but a lot of them have gone. up. Even those people, a lot of them gone to make it. So the thing is, is, don't give up, you know, and I think I was, you know, I'd be at the right place at the right time and I'd meet the right people and I, and I, I worked my ass off really is the truth is I would work super, super hard and make sure I got people what they wanted. Right. And I think that, that delivered and I got very lucky working with great filmmakers for the most part and then getting great jobs at great labels. Right. So, awesome. you know. Yeah.
0: Well, 20 or 30,000 uh, musicians are likely to listen to this and most of them are independent musicians again just trying to trying to carve out a living, make a life in music and um The income stream that I tend to focus on is direct sales, you know, building a funnel, building an audience, monetizing your relationship with that audience. But licensing obviously represents a huge potential income source for musicians. And I get a lot of questions about it. And honestly, my answer is kind of always, I have no idea. All of my placements have come through relationships, a bit of luck. Uh, I don't have any kind of strategy for musicians who want to go out and try to get their music license so what is i'm sure you get asked this question almost every day uh you know what's your advice when someone calls you up and says my my nephew's a musician and i want to help him and he wants to get his his music and movies and tv and all that kind of stuff um where does one start
1: well i you know it it, it is interesting because um it it depends on um okay well first of all i would honestly say if you really want to get your stuff licensed and film and TV and whatever. Um, if, and if you're young and you're just starting out as a musician, get your stuff in student films, mm. you know, as a start because then those people are going to see it, you know? And also once you start, um, once you start getting the, it out with the, um, sorry, it's spacing out now. Um, so, yeah. So to get it in films I think it's really interesting. If you have some sort of following, if you're total so most of these people are totally indie, they're the self-published self published, self their own labels and stuff. I mean stuff. they're all
0: they span a lot of different um uh, you know, a huge array of sort of scenarios, but yeah, that's probably the average person, independent musician, working hard out there performing. They've got you know one or many albums. Some have been at it for thirty years. Some are just getting started. Uh, but everybody is interested in music licensing because one one hit could not only okay. you know boost right. a career but make a lot of money.
1: Okay, so the truth of the matter is, I get so much music every day. Yeah. I probably get I don't know twenty submissions on average a day. Sure. I probably open one of them right? For, for whatever reason. But it's interesting cause this guy has been sending me stuff and I just delete all of them because mm-hmm. you know, right. they fill my mailbox. But this one guy, I've just recognized him and today was the first day I listened to his music. So even though it bugs me, I, you know, you, you have to bug people a little bit. Don't bug people too much because if they hate you, they will blacklist you, right, you know? Right. But if you can get, now, how do you get to music supervisors? I think, you know, easy ways, like go in LinkedIn and put in music supervisor. Interesting. Put in Good. assistant music f- supervisor. Put in music coordinator. Now, my big hint to everybody getting out there is is also in, like, Hollywood is, get it to music editors. If you can find out who the music editors Mm. are. Now chances are you're going to just get deleted and it's never going to get played, but who cares? Right. You know, look up all the music supervisors websites, look up all the music supervisors that do go on IMDB, look up all the music supervisors, all the music coordinators, all the music editors, and just start to make a master list. Now I know that they have, like, I know in New Zealand it's called the data book. And i don't know what it's called in um i think like there's hollywood music i forget what it's called but there's some you know subscription thing you can get but then you get everybody's email and nowadays there's a great program called disco um which is a great program and there's you know where you can just upload your music and share it with everybody and then you can see if people have opened your music Mm -hmm. and you know, it's an easy, and they can just take the the files right there. and They can put it into like if they're working on something and they want to consider it, they can move it into a file easily. It's the easiest music sharing program that most music supervisors use, and so Great that's tip. a good yeah. That's a good tip is to get I don't know what it is twenty bucks a month or something, but it might be worth it just to try it out for six months. Right. And I think really send it to everybody. And now think of what is your how are you gonna get there you know i mean people write me all the time and they tell me like they're sending it to me because they really like my work Mm -hmm. and i get their work you know Mm -hmm. and that doesn't really work right um but i'm trying to think what does work like you know like if you know somebody who knows somebody
0: yeah, I was going to ask Yeah, I was yeah, gonna, I was going to ask what the reality was like you're obviously a high level music supervisor who's getting hit from within the industry does and it's okay, you know, uh, if the if the reality is not what people want to hear. I mean, what's the reality of somebody who has no record deal, who has you know, maybe they're out there working and they've got a few impressive stats, but um, is not coming through some manager or label or someone that you know. Are, do they stand a chance of get breaking through the noise with someone like yourself?
1: Yeah, yeah. But you just got to think, OK, so you got to be clever. Like, what's it going to be? First of all, get it to pe- people. Musicians today aren't sending their stuff to music editors enough. That's my take, hmm. because there's been so many times where <coughs> I like to have an idea. In fact, I was just working on a, an, a, a, a series that I do. Where we hire different composers for every episode, and the editor put in a composer that wasn't one that I brought to the table in the temp track, and the director liked that temp track. Right. So now wow. we're going with that composer.
2: Right. And I had right. to
1: out whatever was in the temp track. So, but you if you can get to the music editor, and you you know, I mean, it's like, what are your shots? If your music's good. And let's say you don't know anybody in the business, just sending your stuff out there. You still got a shot. Maybe it's one in a thousand. I mean, the music supervisors have to be looking for what you have at the moment mm-hmm. or, you know, great artwork. I used to say, cause it, you know, just up until five, six years ago, I still sent a bunch of CDs in the mail. Sure. And sometimes you see artwork that jumped out at you. And so, I mean, what is it that makes yourself interesting? Is there a connection to this person? Like, oh, you're in New Zealand, I'm in New Zealand. Right. I just, you know this, New Zealand is such a small country, sure, everybody sure. knows everybody. But, you know, in LA, what's the connection? Like, I, if you read something about a music supervisor and it connects with you, sure, mention it. But if you have some connection, if you have something that's impressive, like besides the fact that you connected, just be like, look, we've just won all these awards. We got, we, we're on the Heat Seekers chart. We whatever it is that's impressive mm-hmm. that's like that that proves that other people like you it's not that you just like the person that you're writing to you right, know right so I think I think that's a, a good approach and I think you you have to um, go for it and, and and how do you make your, and then there's there's also a website called music supervisor mm-hmm. And, and there's a bunch of other ones too but you know they're a good place to start but just be careful of how long they own your music for right because they you can then they they can then license your music for you and they do
2: right.
1: anybody you know um um like anybody can put their music up there but i think they take 50 percent of the license right. or something but it's an interesting thing like i've used Stuff from there before. I have no idea how I know these people. Right. And getting into the library world is a great way. Sure. And it's broken bands, you know. Bands have made it this way.
0: Sure, sure. As
1: opposed to making it and then, you know. Um, <laughs>
0: No, it's an interesting point. Hi. I'm, I'm working with an artist right now doing some marketing for them and they, they licensed a song to, I think, a photographer, you know, through some photography website, I, I believe. And they've gotten, you know, a million and a half views or something like that. And a following has grown in Canada. They're from Norway, uh, all because of that that photographer licensing, licensing the song. And, and the tip about editors is great. I know I had, I don't even know if you'd remember this, but I, I did a documentary or had a documentary done about sort of me back when I was getting signed. It was the process of getting signed back in the day and we made it ourselves, but I hired editors. Those editors went on to work for MTV real world. And then they put my music in MTV Real World all the time because right. they knew right. me and were familiar. And there's probably right. a lot less competition um, in their inboxes than there is in someone like it's yours. The, it's,
1: it's the truth. It's the truth. I, I yeah, I think I think that's my best secret soft advice. Right, right.
0: And what what should go in that email what you know the the query letter uh, quote unquote you know the the traditional uh literary query letter, query letter. what's the musical equivalent and what should someone say uh, is it just a personal note is there a formula to it
1: um if you know somebody drop their yeah, name Yeah. if you don't if you like go you know um I just, I, I really, I know you're working. If you know, like if you, let's say pipe dream, you go on IMDb and you see a movie that's coming out and go, I know you're working on this movie. Right. I really think, and if you know about that movie, I really think my song would be right for it. And if I don't, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry to waste your time. Right. Thank you so much. You know, just leave it at that
0: and then but, but, and then how are they sending the stuff sending to a one sheet a page email, that you can click email, through
1: email just, email. just a, you'll find that email
0: but just attach the music um, to the email itself
1: Oh Yeah, well, that's why I think disco is a great program right. because then you have a hyperlink and it's just it's a great
0: program Right, right. So ideally you want to click away to something you don't want to download anything, right? You want to click away to some kind of a page that's got their. Although, yeah, yeah,
1: I'm not gonna download anything yeah. from somebody I don't know. Yeah, yeah,
0: totally. So so one page a quick note do your research um, and uh, Make make that personal connection And there and, and that's basically the process. Is there any anything that I'm missing?
1: Um I think that's the important process then, you know. I mean and don't be maybe even hell. I mean let me tell you something. As I said earlier, like probably like over my career I would say there's probably 10,000 Uh, 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 you know, I've used maybe those cold submissions, Mm -hmm. two out of 10,000 maybe. Right. But you never know where they're going to come or how they're going to come or how to make them not feel cold. Right. You know, but a lot of times people just come to me, friend of a friend. If you have friends who know a music supervisor or a music editor or an editor or anybody in the business even. Look, Lisa Loeb, right, Mm -hmm. who had a number one song with Stay from Reality Bites. She was friends with Ethan Hawk, and Ethan Hawk gave us a cassette tape of that demo. She d- couldn't get signed to any label.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: So it's all who you know, too. So there you have that. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks so much. I, There's so much more I could ask you, but I know you have a meeting um,
1: well, we'll do, four minutes We'll ago. do, we'll do number two someday soon. It was nice talking to you, John.
0: Awesome. Thanks very much. Okay. Take care. Cheers. All right. So there you have it. That was Karen Rackman uh, from Mind Your Music. You can find out more about Karen and her company at mindyourmusic.com. Again, it was a real pleasure to have her on. I I cannot stress how much uh, respect I have for Karen and the work that she's done in the music industry. Um, And I think, you know, I think her advice highlights the fact that there are not there are not many shortcuts to licensing. Um, There are a lot of Uh, guides and courses and strategies and services out there for a lot of aspects of furthering one's career. But uh, licensing, you know, I think it it comes down to networking, hard work, uh, and good music and the right music. Um, And Karen, you know, highlighted a lot of that with a few, I think, really helpful tips. So hopefully you got a lot out of that. Um, A huge thank you to Karen once more for being on the show. Um, Thank you guys for listening. As always, uh, if you like what you hear on this podcast, head on over to musicmarketingmanifesto.com. There is an array of uh, uh, of training available to you there from free stuff to premium courses. Uh, you can sign up to the Music Marketing Blueprint, which is a free video presentation uh, that outlines the entire marketing strategy uh, that I have been cultivating for the last decade. Uh, and then there is under products and services, you can find out more about the various products programs that I offer, such as Music Marketing Manifesto uh, 4.0, Music Ads Workshop, uh, and again, as I mentioned earlier in the show, the the new consulting option for those who want some one-on-one guidance. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to the Music Marketing Manifesto podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how you can market your music using the direct-to-fan strategies discussed on this show, then head on over to musicmarketingmanifesto.com and sign up for your free copy of the Music Marketing Blueprint. Once again, that's musicmarketingmanifesto.com.